Hey y'all, this is Charlie and we are living, loving, laughing in grace. And today we are going to talk about what I thought we were going to talk about last time, right? But uh, the Lord so blesses us with those little bunny trails and uh, he knows what you need to hear better than I know what you need to hear. But he does still have this on my heart. So we're going to talk about it again. And that is the generosity of our Lord. Amen. You know, we're getting ready to enter a season of holidays that if you really step back and look at it is all about the generosity of our heavenly father. It's all about the generosity of our savior, right? Thanksgiving. What are we giving thanks for? If not all the goodness and the grace and all the generosity of our father. Amen. All the things we have to give thankful for. We talked about last time. The Bible tells us in James 1:17 that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. We also saw in Jeremiah 17 that he says that the Lord pours out his blessings on the blessed and the cursed. As the cursed simply don't see it. They are not thankful. They're not grateful, so they don't see what the Lord is doing for them. So really Thanksgiving, I see it as a as a time and and I know that many of you do too that we're celebrating the generosity of our God. And of course, Christmas. Wow, Christmas. Talk about generosity. When the Father looked down at a world that was fallen and broken and death and in chaos and disgust and that was wicked and had evil thoughts and intentions and had rejected him again and again and again, my friend, that's all of us. The Bible says there is not one who is good. No, not one, it says. And yet the father looked down on that and said, you know, he gave us a perfect world. He gave us a perfect, beautiful world and we corrupted it. So he gave us perfect creation and we ruined it. And so then he goes a step further and gives us his greatest gift. He sends us his perfect son into a world that had already completely rejected and despised him. If that isn't generosity, amen, largeness of heart that he would send his one and only begotten son to save us. Amen. You know, I absolutely love it. And that's why I talk about it. Not to make us feel, feel bad, but to give us that assurance. You know, the, the greater we understand how fallen and wicked we were before we became the righteousness of God in Christ, the greater assurance that we'll have because when we were fallen, when we were still wicked sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. When we were at our worst, when we were his enemy, he came and he generously gave up his life for us. Before that, he, out of the generosity of his heart, determined to leave the glory and the splendor and the perfections of heaven to step down into our world and put himself in the likeness of human flesh. My friends, what generosity. But see, when we understand, right, that he did that for us when we were his enemy. 
how much more the Bible says, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? Now that we are the righteousness of God, now that we are saved through the life of his son. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's talk about some generosity right out of the scriptures. Some of my favorite scriptures. So we're going to go to the scripture in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. And it says, now I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me ask you this. Has this ever been read to you? And then made, and it's usually used in the context to make you feel like you should be giving and you need to be cheerful about it. And I don't know, for some reason, a lot of times the, the, the spirit that I'm left with when this is taught is actually not one of joyfulness and cheerfulness. You know, it's like you got to give. The demand is on you that you need to give. But you know, the, the problem is that we've got to make sure we're always keeping scripture in context. And I'm going to ask you a very deep theological question that I hope you're ready for. After all our time together, you ought to be able to answer this. This is chapter 9. Does chapter 9 come before or after chapter 8? Well, there it is. <laughs> Here's my deep question. Does 9 come before or after 8? It comes after, right? So yes, the word does say this, but it says this after you should have read chapter 8 because this is a letter, right? Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians. So before they heard that, that they needed to be cheerful givers who so generously and not sparingly, what they would have heard before that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 is this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. I'm going to read that again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. So my friends, here's the thing. Under the new covenant, remember the new covenant, like we talked about a couple episodes ago, is always about what God has done. What God has done. What Jesus has done at the cross. What Jesus accomplished at the cross. His perfect and finished work. That's what the New Testament is about. And we are just living out of what Jesus has already accomplished. We're resting in what he has accomplished. We are victorious in his victory. Amen. The old covenant was about everything that we have to do. The new covenant is all about what God has done. Amen. So if you ever hear teachings that make you feel like it's required of you, it's dependent on you, it's about what you are doing or can do, you are hearing the old covenant, which guess what? 
God hasn't offered that covenant to anyone since his son was crucified. Do we use the law? Yes, we use the law of God for the purpose that it was given. The Bible says that the law was God was given because through it is the knowledge of sin. The knowledge of sin. Not the knowledge of righteousness, the knowledge of sin. And what is that for? We use the law of God for people who are not believers yet. No, you cannot share everything that God is doing with someone who's not a believer. Right? For them, they need to accept, accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they're not going to do that if we tell them that they're already perfected, that they're okay, that they're good, because they're not. They need to see where they fall short of God's perfections, just like all of us did, my friends. That's how we recognize that we need a Savior. I can't make myself perfect. I am a sinner. Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. The law is designed to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we see we need a Savior. But once we see we need a Savior and we receive Jesus Christ to ourselves, the Bible says we are now married to Him. We died in Christ to the law so that we are now alive to Christ. Live in Christ. Christ does not need help teaching you. If we think we need the law and Jesus, do you know Paul calls that spiritual adultery? He says you're running back and forth between covenants, just like a woman running back and forth between two different husbands. That's why we had to die in Christ, because we were married to the law. And so to be separated from it, one of us has to die. The law can't die. It's perfect and holy. And God didn't want you to have to die. I'm talking about the death that leads to eternal damnation. And so he sent his son to die for us. And then he placed us in him. The Bible says that we died in him at the cross. So we have died to that old covenant and we are risen in Christ and we are now married to him just as we are called his bride. And he is our bridegroom. Amen. Amen. So where does our generosity of heart come from? But it comes from our father who's first generous to us. It comes from Jesus who gave up everything he had, though he was rich. The Bible says, let me ask you something. Was Jesus rich? Jesus created the gold that is in this world. Jesus put all of the precious stones and metals all the diamonds and sapphires and rubies. He put all that in this world. And by the way, he called it good. There's nothing wrong with gold. It's what's in our hearts. Amen. Do you pursue gold or do you pursue God? But when he put the gold in the world, he called it good. He owns this earth. He owns all the stars and the galaxies and the universes. And the Bible says that heaven, if you've got a problem with gold, in heaven the streets aren't even paved with gold. They are made with gold. Made with gold. How rich is Jesus? Wealthier than we can possibly imagine. And yet at the cross, he became poor so that you through his poverty, might become rich. See, my friends, the cross is a divine exchange. Just as we exchanged our sin for his righteousness, we also exchanged our poverty for his wealth. 
And when we want to live in this world, knowing that we aren't trying to be rich, you already are rich. Jesus made you rich. And let's look at how he did that. You know, it, here's the thing. The gospel of grace is not about, uh, you know, there's no such thing, such thing as the gospel of prosperity. But grace will make you prosper. When Jesus was born, he was born into a poor family. We know that because when Joseph and Mary went to the temple to make the sacrifice uh, that was required by the law for having a son born, they took doves, which was the sacrifice that the poor took. But they didn't stay poor. Even as a baby, he had such influence and such poor wealth was brought to them. Remember what the wise men brought? They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The most expensive items of the day. As a baby, Jesus essentially paid for his family to be able to flee where they were. Remember they had to, the angel woke Joseph up and let him know or that they needed to flee because Jesus's life was in danger and they had to go live in another country. Jesus essentially paid for that. <laughs> Amen. So his family didn't even stay, stay poor because he came into their life. Grace attracts wealth. However, at the cross, he did become poor. And my friends, this is not a spiritual poverty. One, Jesus never became spiritually poor. If he did, we're all lost. But the context of what this entire thing is talking about, you can read 2 Corinthians 8 for yourself. This is Paul addressing the Corinthians about an offering that they were taking up to give to other Christians, to other believers, to help take care of them. The entire context is talking about actual physical wealth. And he says that at the cross, Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. So the principle of sowing and reaping is valid, but you must understand that it comes through the cross. We must believe that we are rich before we can give like we are rich. Amen. We must believe in all that God has given to us before we'll ever be able to share that with anyone around us. And God wants you to live and believe and think as if you are rich because you are. This isn't about pretending you have something that you don't. It's about looking up to heaven and seeing what the Lord has already provided for you. And it's not about going out there and spending like crazy either because the Bible tells us to use wisdom. And when you're looking at the Lord and seeing what he has done for you, that he gave up all his wealth and became poor. And we're going to look at just how poor it doesn't make you want to go out there and do crazy things. But how can we do that anyways when we're alive to Christ and being led by the spirit? But it does make us generous. And the more generous we are, the more the Lord's able to pour into us. Right? Because he says that those He's Jesus himself says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. So you give some and he gives you back what you gave. Plus he presses that down, shakes it, right? Like if you ever done with like flour or sugar or something like that, you know that as you shake it and, 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 and press it, you can get more and more and more in the bag, right? 
shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Amen. You know, the Lord is telling us this because he wants opportunities to pour in so much into you that it's pressed down, shaken together and running over. Amen. You know, I have an expression the Lord put in my heart a long time ago, and that is that you cannot outgive God, but it sure is fun to try. And I can testify that it is so fun to try. He gives back and so, you know, sometimes he will actually give you back what you spent plus more in the cash that you spent it. Sometimes it will come in getting savings that you weren't planning on. Sometimes it comes, you know, in, in things lasting longer and going for, you know, the ways God gives back to us are as limitless as he is. Amen. You know, just recently I had an experience where I was out getting a mani-pedi ladies. That's right. I enjoy that something I never thought in my younger life that I would be able to afford. I was out getting a mani-pedi and you know, the really funny thing was, was I had gotten the very basic uh, mani-pedi, right? Because um, I wanted to get it done and I needed some help on my feet. You know what I mean? Uh, but I didn't want to, you know, go all out. So I got the very basic package and I was sitting back there having a great time getting my mani-pedi, talking with my, with my friend uh, who works there. And, um, and a couple of other ladies came in and were sitting in the chairs across from me. And they were also getting Manny uh, Petties, um, an, an older woman and, and a lady. And, and I figured out through the course of conversation, it was a mother-daughter. But anyhow, I felt the spirit at one point rise up in me and say, I want you to get their pedicures. And, you know, sometimes when that happens, you know, there is nothing wrong with checking with Jesus. Make sure that that really is Jesus. And I was like, Jesus. Are you telling me this or this is just me with a feel good moment? And, and I want to do that because, right, first of all, they were getting the deluxe packages. Right? So a lot more than I had planned to spend on myself. Did I have the money? Yes. Was that what I had budgeted it for? No. This is what I mean. God's not going to tell you to go out and spend money that you don't have. But it's living with the spirit of seeing that we are already wealthy. We don't need to hold on to every little little penny and try to squeeze everything out of it, right? We can be generous because he has already made us wealthy. In fact, in Proverbs 11.23, it says this. I'm sorry, 11.24. It says, there is one who scatters yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. So he's like the Lord has blessed a person. He's blessed this person, given them plenty so that they can also be a blessing to someone else. But they hold on to it so hard. It's like they squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. You know, it's like if you make a fist and you just keep squeezing and squeezing hard enough. If you squeeze hard enough and long enough, you'll see blood, right? Your own blood. Amen. And that's what he's saying. It's like you're squeezing on so tight. But you know what the end result is? It actually leads to poverty. But he said, but there's one who scatters. So they're like throwing it out there, yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich. The generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. 
Amen. So back to this story, you know, and, 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 and I've had so many wonderful opportunities where the Lord has worked this in, in me and I have an incredible supportive husband who supports my craziness. Okay. No, he's, he is the most generous man, um, I've ever met as well. So, uh, I, I feel the Lord tell me that I should pay for their pedicures and, you know, and it's not based on a need-based thing. You know, my friends, if we get into judging, like the Lord tells us to pay for something and then we'll look and we'll be like, well, it doesn't really look like they need money. I mean, and does anyone need a manicure pedicure? Like, I don't know if they need it. So, so why would he be telling me to pay for that? You know, sometimes he asks us to do things just to set us up for a blessing. Amen. Just like we just read, he, he wants you to give because it opens your hands up. See, when, when our hands are closed off, holding on to that money, you know what else? They're also closed off to receiving. But when we open them up to give, the further we open them up, the more he can put in them because they're spread open wide. So, you know, it, it, sometimes it's like it's, it doesn't even, it might not even look like a need-based thing. You know, but the Lord said to do it. So it was like, okay, I'm not going to lie. I argued with him a little bit. Like, Lord, this is going to cost like twice as much as what I was spending on myself. And then I looked to the cross, right? Did Jesus look at me and do that? No, he definitely spent twice as much on me as I could ever possibly give back to him. Because that's just the thing. All I can ever do is give back from what he's given me. It's like, where did the money I have come from in the first place? It came from my heavenly father through the cross. So I go and, and, and I paid for those um, many petties and Jeremy picked me up and I let him know, you know, that, oh, so it would have been less than normal, but now it's going to be a little bit more and, you know, whatever. Okay. So we go home. Well, later that day, Jeremy was meeting up with the, with the individual um, that he was going to buy a uh, a tool that he needed, right? He's, he's buying it used. He's always looking on all these sites. Y'all probably know about them. I don't, you know, neighborhood watches and Facebook and all kinds of places where you can buy stuff used. So he was going out to, to buy some tooling used from a gentleman that he kind of, uh, knew through somebody else. And he goes and gets it and he comes home and he gives me $40 and he says, and I was like, what, what is this for? And he's like, this is from, you know, so-and-so that I went to meet. When I got there, he gave me back $40 that I was supposed to pay for the tool and told me to take it home and give it to my wife. <laughs> wow. Now, I'm going to tell you what. The Lord always gives back to us. That was a very quick one. So $40 happened to be the cost of one of those pedicures that I paid for. So it's like the Lord paid back one of them already. And it's like, wow, in cash right? And the strangest of ways, Jeremy said he, he even kind of argued with the guy like, no, the, this tooling is worth more than what you were even originally asking for it. So, you know, don't, I don't want you to take less, take the whole thing. I'm already getting a good deal. And the guy was like, nope, nope, nope. I want you to take this home and give it to your wife. Right? So then it gets even better because a couple weeks, uh, um, he tells Jeremy also, oh, by the way, I had ordered a piece of equipment to go with this. Um, I'm going to call the company and see if they'll just deliver it to you instead. And, um, the part he said was, you know, it was going to be like a 20 or $30 part. And Jeremy's like, well, do you want me to pay you for that? And he's like, nope, nope, it's fine. I don't need any of it anymore. So you just, you just take it. So he ends up sending him a, a message 
uh, the next day or so that the company was able to change the shipping address and it would be coming straight to Jeremy. Well, then it gets here and it turns out he did not purchase the very basic part he had told Jeremy he did. He purchased the upgraded one that was a couple hundred dollars more. And Jeremy reaches out to him and says, hey, there's no way uh, I have got to pay you something for this. Um, it's definitely something Jeremy could use. Um, and so he's like, I got to pay you something for this. And the guy basically blew him off, you know, and said, oh, yeah, we can talk about it next year. I'm on my way to Florida. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, don't limit the Lord is what I have learned. Don't limit him. So many times we limit him. And that's what the Bible said the children of Israel did when he brought them to the promised land and said, I'm going to give you a land that is so good. It's overflowing with wealth. It's already got homes in it that are beautiful and huge that that you're going to live in that you didn't have to pay for or work for. It's got vineyards and gardens that are just bursting. I'm going to give you all this goodness just because you're my people. And they didn't believe in his goodness. The Bible says they limited God. And so they didn't receive it. My friends, let's look at what God has already given us through his son at the cross and take the limits off and believe that there is nothing that he won't give to us now. The Bible says that very thing in Romans 8, 32, it says he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely, freely give us all things, all things. My friend, do you understand what he's saying? He's saying since God has already given up his son, the very best that he had to offer, he is not going to withhold anything else from you now. He is not withholding that promotion that you want. He's not withholding the health that you need, the healing that you desire. He is not withholding the wisdom that you need to be successful at your job or a successful parent or a successful spouse. He's not withholding the spouse from you. Perhaps you're still looking and desiring to be married. He's not withholding that from you. The Lord is not withholding anything from us but freely gives it freely, freely gives us what? All things say all things with me, all things says, say freely, freely gives us all things. How freely, because he already gave us his son. See, if God now withholds something from you, what that would be saying is that whatever that is, he's withholding is greater than his son because he didn't hold his son back. So if God, let's say he keeps healing from you, then what that would be saying is that healing is more valuable than Jesus because he won't give you healing, but he gave up Jesus. If God won't give you money, then apparently money is more important than Jesus because God gave you Jesus, but he won't give you money. I don't think so, my friends. Jesus is the most valuable gift and God already gave him to us so we can trust him to freely give us all things. And my friends, when, when we're looking at that, how does that make you feel right now? When you're focused on Jesus, what he's done for you, what he paid so that his father can now freely give you all things that makes our hearts generous. That doesn't make us stingy. That doesn't make us greedy. That makes our hearts generous. We want to share the goodness that we have first received. Amen. And I have got to get along here in these scriptures because I want to show you just exactly how Jesus became poor for you at the cross so that through, you know, and it says by his grace, Jesus didn't have to do it. He did not have to become poor for you at the cross so that you could become rich by his grace. 
So that means not because of anything we've done, my friends, not because we deserve it. It's his undeserved, unmerited favor on us that he became poor so that we could become rich. I want to show you how he did that. In John 19, verse 23. So uh, at this point, Jesus, they have taken Jesus to crucify him. And it says, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, one share for each shoulder, and also the tunic, the long shirt-like undergarment. My friend, when I think when we hear tunic, we often think it's an outer garment. But what they were talking about was Jesus's undergarment, because in, that, in those days, that's what they wore. They wore like a, a, a tunic underneath, like a robe, you know, and then they wore actual robes over top of that. So this was Jesus's undergarment. So they took his other garments that we already said, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, one share for each soldier, and also the tunic, the long shirt-like undergarment. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top throughout. Which means this was a very special and more expensive piece of clothing because it wasn't different pieces of clothing sewn together to make a tunic, but it was woven as one piece, maybe by his mother, perhaps, a labor of love for her son. And because of that, it's more valuable. And so they said to one another, let us not tear it. But let us cast lots to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They parted my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. My friends, I want you to imagine this. Jesus, he's at the cross and they crucified him with not a shred of clothing on him. Even his undergarments they took and he watched from the cross as they gambled over his clothes how poor did the king of all kings the lord on high the one who created our earth our universe all the gold and the wealth that is rightfully is how poor did he become so poor, he had not even one shred of clothing, but was crucified, completely naked, and watched as greedy men gambled over his clothes. So poor, he didn't even have his own tomb to be laid in, but borrowed, essentially, the tomb of another. My friend, Jesus left this world. When he was crucified, he owned absolutely nothing. And I want you to picture this. He's on the cross, completely naked, put on display for all to see. They crucified him in one of the most public places on the busiest road and the busiest time of year coming into the city so that everyone who was coming in and coming out would see him up there. That's poor. And he took that so that we might become rich. 
My friend, it is the devil that wants you to think God wants you poor or that he doesn't care about your material welfare. His son took our shame. Think of the shame of that. The humility to be crucified that way. Not even the other people who were crucified were crucified like that. But Jesus was. Don't tell me God doesn't care. Jesus himself said not to worry about what you shall eat or what you shall wear. Because your heavenly father knows that you need these things. And he himself, when he spoke those words, he knew the price he was going to pay to make sure that you always had them. Amen. And let me ask you, have you ever felt ashamed? This is a, this is a multi-faceted blessing. The cro- at the cross, Jesus exchanged so much for us. And this is why we come to his word and we hear so that we can receive and receive. Because do you know every time you receive of what Christ did for you at the cross, you are glorifying him. You are honoring him. When you say, thank you, Lord, I received this wealth because your son paid for it. You're honoring the work that he did. It is self-righteousness and pride that says, no, God, I don't need money. Or I've got just enough. You've got just enough for you and your family, but who cares about blessing anybody else, right? And I'm sorry, my friends, I'm not speaking to you because I know you wouldn't be listening if you had that kind of heart. But unfortunately, I've heard that so much in the church. Jesus wasn't crucified naked. He didn't become as poor as poor can be, owning not a shred of anything, giving up every bit of dignity and honor because God doesn't care about taking care of our physical needs. And have you ever felt ashamed? You know, shame comes because of the things that we do. And that's the other thing that Jesus was taking for us. He took our very shame at the cross so that you no longer have to ever feel ashamed again. And in fact, the Bible says that for your shame, he gives you not just honor, but double honor. My friend, in the very area, the very place where you feel ashamed, God has given you double honor through what his son has done at the cross. In Isaiah 61, 7, it says that very thing, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Jesus Christ has given you double honor. Amen. And now, after we see what Jesus has gone through, how he became completely poor at the cross, gave up everything for us, we see that he became poor so that we can become rich. Then we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Which tells us, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. My friend, how your father wants you to reap 
bountifully. He's already given you everything you need so that you can sow bountifully, you can sow generously, and therefore you can reap bountifully. And it goes on to say, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Don't be forced. Don't do it grudgingly. And if you've made a commitment or you feel like the Lord wants you to give something, but you don't feel like doing it, do you know it's okay to talk to him about that? To come to him and say, Lord, I, I you know, in my heart and my spirit, I believe you are telling me to give this, but I don't want to. And look to him. Let him change your heart. The Bible says he gives us the willingness and the ability to do something. So if he's telling us to do something and we don't have the willingness, you can ask him for it. Amen. And he will bring you, he will give you that cheerfulness. And it says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think God ever asks us to do something that he's not doing himself? No. God would never ask us to sow bountifully if he's not already sowing bountifully. We talked about that he gave generously through his son, but how much more he has given us. He's given us his son and so much more with his son. And you know how he did it? Cheerfully. He cheerfully gave us his son. Jesus cheerfully gave up his life for us. In Hebrews 12 verse 2, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, fixing and the word in the Hebrew is actually an intense looking to, as in you don't look away to anything else. Don't be distracted by anything else. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. My friends, Jesus is the beginning of our faith. He's the author of it and he's the perfecter of it. Amen. There is just nothing about this that we have to worry about. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He called you. He gave you the eyes to see that you need him. He's going to keep perfecting your faith. But it goes on to say, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before him. Even in the cross, he found the joy. And what was the joy? You, my friend. You, you are the joy that Jesus endured the cross for. And I'm the joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. See, my friends, he took our shame. He bore it. And it says he despised it. He put it in its place and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God is the original cheerful giver, my friend. Look to him and see that he did not grudgingly give you his son. He didn't go, oh, great, I guess I got to save this world because it's a mess. No, out of the joy of bringing you into his family, he gave up his son. And it goes on to say, and God, able to make all grace, say all grace, all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Did you hear that, my friend? God is always, and you know what? In the original Greek, or original Greek this God is able. There is no is. It's just the word able, and it's a present active 
indicative, which means it's an action that is continuously happening. God is continuously making you able for all grace to abound towards you. God is continuously enabling all grace to abound towards you so that always having all sufficiency, all sufficiency means that you will possess enough to require no aid, no support. You'll be furnished in abundance for every good work, every charitable donation for more and overflow from what you need that you may have an abundance for every good deed. And now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food shall supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You know what he's saying? He's saying he's the one that gives us the seed to start with. He gives us the seed in the first place. He gives us bread for our own eating. But then when we spread the seed that he first gave us, and oh, by the way, he's still giving us bread to take care of us. He multiplies that seed for sowing and increases the harvest. And then you get to sow more. And then he multiplies that. And then you get to sow more. And he multiplies that. And you just keep going. You can try. You cannot outgive God. But it sure is fun to try. And as he says, he will make all a grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Amen, my friend. So as we're entering this time where we're celebrating the generosity of our God, let's celebrate what Jesus did for us. That out of his grace, he became poor at the cross so that through him, we might become rich. Let's receive of all that the Father is giving to us and doing for us, working in us and through us and enjoy the opportunities. You know, every opportunity he gives to us to give is an opportunity for us to see him showing up in our lives, an opportunity for us to experience his faithfulness, an opportunity for us to experience him blessing us. Hallelujah. Amen. My friends, I got to let you go. I really got to let you go. All right. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance on you and grant you peace. Amen. 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 In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, my friends. Until next time, keep on living, loving, and laughing in grace.